0: Last week we discussed together about Ezekiel's vision of God and how God is revealed as being holy and separated from sin, that God is universal in power, presence and knowledge, and that God is on a mission and that this awesome God is personal. That was entitled The Day God Came to Town. And tonight I would like to discuss the day we enter God's presence. I'm not going to be discussing when it will happen and any order that it might happen in. I'm not going to predict a future date when this will occur. I'm not that brave. But tonight I want to do just two things as we learn together on our subject of heaven as explained to us in the last chapters of the Bible, Revelation chapters 21 and 22. So please do open your Bibles, if only to check that what I am saying to you comes from there and I want to give you a big picture view of this chapter which gives just a snapshot of heaven the place where God radiates his glory and Jesus is the light of the city the streets are made of purest gold and where we shall serve and honour Jesus in all his glory and I've selected three brief vignettes for this evening as we contemplate together our eternal home And first of all, the overall picture. And the book of Revelation is the book where the bride of Jesus is consummated in marriage to him. It is where we, the church, the bride of Christ, are finally joined with Jesus as one. In the book of Revelation, God's program of redemption, starting all the way back in Genesis, comes to fruition and God's holy and majestic name is vindicated before all creation. Here, Jesus is seen in all his glory to judge the earth and to rule it with righteousness. And the writer of this book is the Apostle John. He's now approaching a hundred years of age, and he's almost blind. John was, in all probability, in exile on Patmos, put there by the Romans due to his effective witness for Christ. And Patmos was where the Romans banished criminals and political offenders. There was open persecution of Christians at the time. And this is the same John who was with the Apostle, who was the Apostle Jesus loved. John saw Jesus walk on the water. He seen and heard Jesus command the storm to cease. He saw Jesus weeping. He saw Jesus in righteous anger clearing the temple courts. He had seen Jesus heal the sick and raise the dead. He himself had been there with Jesus when Jesus had cast out demons. He had been there when Jesus miraculously fed the 5,000 with two loaves and five fish. He had had his feet washed by Jesus. He saw Jesus transfigured. He saw Jesus die. He had seen the risen Jesus and he had seen Jesus ascend back to the right hand of God And I would like us here to consider the number 12. And the number 12 is God's choice in order to show completeness and perfection. And this can be seen in the 12 gates mentioned in Revelation chapter 21. 12 gates is enough for all and for us. This leads us to and gives us confidence in a God who longs for all to live with him forever. Revelation 21 verse 12. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and with twelve angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. So there were twelve gates and twelve angels with the twelve tribes of Israel written on them. And verse 16, the city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city, talking about the angel, with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, as wide and as high as it is long. It's a perfect cube, 12,000 stadia high, wide and deep. It's about the same distance as Edinburgh to Rome and it is symbolic of the Holy of Holies in the Jerusalem temple where the priest could only enter once a year. This whole city is a temple where we encounter God face to face, not just one day of the year, like the priest in the Holy of Holies, but permanently for all time. And verse 17, he measured its wall, and it was 144 cubits thick, by man's measurement, which the angel was using. And each wall, 144 cubits, and as we know, 12 times 12, is 144. And verse 19 to 20, the foundation of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh jacinth, and the 12th amethyst. The 12 stones symbolize the 12 stones around the high priest's breastplate in order to signify the 12 tribes of Israel. And verse 22 to 24, read it with me. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light And the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. God's glory radiates throughout the city. His glory radiating in purity to make it a sacred place so that God is accessible to all. Jesus the Lamb is the light of the city for there is no sun or moon. So that's the big picture. And now I'm going to go on to my three specifics. Firstly, is it a prepared place? Turn over to John chapter 14, and we'll read from verses 1 to 4. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And I wonder what some of the most beautiful buildings that you have seen, perhaps in your hometown or in your travels. And perhaps one of the most beautiful buildings in the world that I have seen is the Taj Mahal in India. And a Muslim emperor, in memory of his wife, built it. And this wife uh, he had known for 19 years. It had taken 20,000 workers a day and 21 years to complete. And in today's money, would have cost about 2.2 billion pounds to build. It's made of the purest marble sitting on a red sandstone base and adorned with precious jewels. Now, if a pagan Indian prince can make this beautiful building for somebody he had known for only 19 years, then how much more beautiful than that is our new home going to be? And Jesus has been working on this new home for almost 2,000 years to this point in time. So heaven is a beautiful place prepared for you and for me to live forever and ever. And when I first started at Moreland's Bible College, I would live in Christchurch, and my wife temporarily lived back in London flat. That's about 100 miles away. But when I went home to London on the weekends, I know that I was expected and loved. Young me had my favourite meal prepared. The heater was on, everything I liked that made it a home was done for me by her. The first week I was showered with balloons and all manner of things, because I was expected and she loves me. When we got married 13 years ago, we had a wedding here in England and three days later she flew to her home country to prepare for our wedding there, which was to be six weeks later. I had no idea what was going to happen when I flew there for the wedding, but when I landed there, every detail was prepared and ready. Similarly, when we go home to heaven, Jesus has prepared a place for those of us who love him Trust him and obey him. Jesus is waiting for us. He is expecting us, wanting to lavish his love upon us. We know he loves us now, but that is only in part. When we are with him forever, we shall have a larger picture of Jesus. He is with us now in spirit, but then we shall be with him physically. Heaven is a prepared place of extraordinary beauty. John tries to portray it to us, building up layer upon layer of words, just as painters paint a picture by laying on the colour as they paint until finally the painting is finished. So heaven is prepared. Secondly, heaven is a pure place. Revelation 21 verse 4 You will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And we all suffer in some way. It's common to all humans. I don't know how you are suffering today. Either as individuals or as a community of believers. But one day soon we will have perfect bodies and full health. And we only have to look at the news on TV or read the papers to see global suffering. There'll be no more terrorism, missiles, guns, wars or bombs. No more will man's inhumanity to man be allowed. There'll be no more torture or rapes or muggings or robberies. No more poverty or famine. No more religion, idols or icons. No more gossip fornication, adultery, lying or debauchery. No more cowardice, no more pain, no more death, no more suffering, no more sin. And suffering of any kind leaves some sort of scar or mark, whether individual suffering or community suffering. And I wonder, do you have scars, physical, emotional or mental scars due to sickness? somebody else sinning against you or as a result of your own sins and scars come as a result of human life much like a house that has been lived in scratches in the paintwork dents and knocks in the wood our human bodies are the same yet yet one day they will be gone vanished a pure body you will have and I will have no need for annoying spectacles or hearing aids. There'll be no spec savers or standard stair in heaven. No more wheelchairs, no more walking sticks or frames. No more braces, no more doctors or dentists. Perfection attained. It is to the glory of God and his majestic doing that this will occur. Do you believe it? Do you live it? And are you suffering today from sickness? Are you suffering today because of someone else? Well one day one glorious day all suffering will vanish for those of us who love him Again let me read that verse 21 verse 4 God will wipe away our tears There will be no more death nor sorrow nor crying and no more pain For former things have passed away So take that verse to heart Make it your own What a glorious day it will be for those of us who love him now. God himself wiping away our tears. It will be a place where we live the fruit of the spirit for eternity. A place where love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control are permanent and universal. What a day that will be. We will enter those gates thanking Jesus, looking back at how we suffered. Not only medically, but also for his sake, and saying with John, it was worth it all. The sufferings you and I have endured and overcome for the sake of Jesus was all worth it, so as to be here forever. So heaven's prepared, it's pure, and now the pearly gates. Verse 21 of chapter 21. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl, and the great street of the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. And I wonder if you know how a pearl is formed, and when an oyster gets an irritating grain of sand within its shell covers it over with layers of mother-of-pearl until the irritation and the suffering is no longer felt. Now what on earth could the suffering of being with which these giant pearls that are gates be made of? And I think they are to remind us of the cross and the suffering and pain that Jesus endured. And people denigrate the cross. I've had people say, including Christians, that the cross doesn't matter And your religion is as good as my religion, thank you very much. Because all religions lead to heaven, don't they? However, the very gates of heaven tell us that this thinking is wrong. The very gates of heaven tells us that it is only through the cross that we get to pass through the gates to enjoy heaven in worship and service of God. And it's only through the pain, the agony, and the suffering that Jesus endured culminating in his crying my God, my God why have you forsaken me? God himself has suffered for us so that we may enjoy his company forever and ever if only we trust and obey him now and have placed our faith in him while we are here on earth we know in part now but then we will then know in full. And this makes the sins that we commit while we are here on earth trying to follow him even more serious. And sometimes we take a rather blasé attitude to sin, don't we? Don't know if you're like me, but we excuse it as only a little sin and it doesn't really matter. And each time we sin as believers, it is as if we are spitting in the very face of Jesus. Our desire should be to be Jesus and to be like him. I long to be perfect, when I mistake a sin, then I I cry out in frustration to be perfect now. However, I also know that God is taking off my rough edges to continue making me purer, more like his son Jesus, each day, under the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. I won't be entering heaven, because I'm Australian, although I consider that a very close second. You won't even be able to claim your entry into heaven by showing your passport that shows you're a British citizenship, let alone a member of the European community. And even more surprising to some across the Atlantic, I'm sure, is that if you're American, your passport won't even let you in. No, we can only enter heaven, our new home, through the cross. When we first decided for Jesus and turned over our lives to him, that is when our eternal life with him commenced. So we've seen the big picture. Heaven's pure. It's prepared. It's got those pearly gates reminding us of the suffering of Jesus on the cross. And so we conclude. So be encouraged. Heaven is for you, but only if you are trusting and obeying Jesus and have him as the Lord and center of your life. And you suffering. Suffering will soon be gone. When you sin against God, keep a short account and ask for forgiveness as soon as you recognise that you have sinned and that the Holy Spirit has convicted you of it. We long to be with him forever and ever, don't we? Yet we are to keep one part of our mind on heaven and the other on the responsible work we have been set to do here on earth. We are not to be so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly use. And conversely, we are not to be so earthbound that we are not tied to Jesus in our eternal home. So go tell somebody. What Go tell somebody this week this message. Heaven is a great big place, and there will be room for everybody in this town, this county, this nation, and this world to enter through one of those twelve gates. Go and share this good news with somebody this week. And if you happen to be here, and you aren't yet a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, And please make yourself known to Philip or one of the other leaders who would be glad to speak to you more about this Jesus. Now you can follow him this very minute. What now can we say? Chapter 22, verse 14 and 17. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city The Spirit and the Bride say come. And let him who hears say come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Trust him. Live a life worthy of him. Verse 20 of chapter 22. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Look for his coming. He's coming back for us soon. How and what for are you trusting in Jesus today? How are you living a life worthy of him today? And in what way are you looking forward to Jesus coming again? Because he's coming again soon. I finally conclude with this quote from C.S. Lewis's last book of the Narnia Tales, The Last Battle. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story, which no one on earth has read which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before, to which we unite with John in Revelation chapter 22, verse 20. Let's read it again, and we say together, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Thank you.